This morning, I've got a message for you that I think is going to be an encouragement to you. It's a message that I've wanted to bring to you for the past couple of weeks. In fact, when we started our series on peace on earth, this was kind of the heart that I wanted to bring to you. I mean, there are some things that we talked about in the last couple of weeks about what it means to live in peace with others and what it means to be people of peace for others, but there's a deep peace that I think all of us need. And so let me invite you. We've got the notes for today's message in our live event. It won't be updating live, but you can just open it up and see all the notes there, the Bible passages, the blanks, and have access to that. So if you have our app, go ahead and open it up and tap on the same thing you see on the screen here. If you don't have our app, grab a Bible and you're going to be doing some flipping back and forth as we go through some of these passages, or just sit back and relax. We'll have the words on the screen as well so that we can follow along together. But let's ask God one more time to lead us into his word. Lord, I just pray that you would teach us by your word. I pray that you would guard the words that I speak and the thoughts in our hearts and that you would shape what happens in this place where I am right now and wherever people are listening to this message or watching it. Just encourage our hearts to draw close to you and to experience the peace and the rest that truly comes from a relationship with you. God, would you just move in our lives, guard the words that I speak and the thoughts in our hearts, and bring us into fellowship with you more deeply than ever before. Transform us, make us more like Jesus, and fill us with an awareness of your presence in our lives. We love you, we give you this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in this series for a number of weeks now. This is the final one in our Peace on Earth series. And I want to start with the passage that we've looked at so many times through this series. It is this famous passage of the Christmas story that we find in Luke chapter 2. It says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And we've said this every single week. We've mentioned how glory to God is something that is present today. And that means that peace on earth is also something that is intended to be present today. God isn't making a promise that one of these days he's going to be glorified. He's not making a promise that one of these days there will be peace on earth. He's making a proclamation, a declaration that these things are true today. It's because of Christmas. It's because of Jesus being born that we can celebrate peace coming to this earth. And remember, we've spent the past couple of weeks talking about how to live in it, how to experience it, but I want to highlight it for you today. I want to highlight for you something that Jesus said to his followers and to those people who weren't yet his followers to try to let them know what he really wanted for them in their lives. Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Another year has come and gone, and I imagine some of you are a little bit relieved to see it depart. But the truth of the matter is, another year is right around the corner. 2022 is right around the corner, and who knows what it's going to bring to us? And maybe you're already feeling a little bit nervous about it. Maybe you're already a little worried about what 2022 is going to bring. 
Well, I just want to remind you that Jesus has a goal for your life. And Jesus' goal involves you finding rest, finding peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wants us to experience his rest. This is a thing that God has promised to his people throughout the centuries. In fact, when God made the universe, he created everything. And then on the last day, after he made all these other things, on day number seven, he rested. And then he made that sort of an institution. And he said, I want my people all the time to take at least one day out of every seven to rest and to rejuvenate and to worship and to focus on the the truly important things and not just the menial things of this life. We're worried about a lot of stuff, but Jesus is calling us to rest. He's calling us to peace. I want to tell you a story about a a time when I was pretty restless. Um, I went to seminary to get my degree to become a pastor. The school that pastors go to is called seminary, and the degree that we get is usually called a master of divinity degree. It's a weird degree, I know. Sometimes we abbreviate it MDiv, and those people who have an MDiv degree technically can be called reverend, so I guess that's me. I've never gone by that name before, but when I was in seminary, I actually went to the same seminary that my dad went to. My dad's a pastor. He went to Denver Seminary when he was getting his training, and, and I went to Denver Seminary. But when my dad went to seminary, he actually, his senior year, was invited to participate in a preaching competition. That's right. Every year, the faculty at Denver Seminary would, would nominate a few of the students, a few of the seniors who were graduating, to participate in a preaching competition. My dad just poured his heart and soul into it. And I heard the story so many times growing up about how he picked his passage and how he basically memorized the passage. And then he wrote his sermon and then he memorized the sermon and he practiced it for weeks until finally the day of the competition came. And he delivered his sermon and ended up winning the preaching competition at the seminary. I heard about it so many times especially because my youth pastor, my high school youth pastor, went to the same school. He went to Denver Seminary, and he too was invited to participate in the preaching competition, but Joel Sutton did not win. And they don't even mention who comes in second or third or fourth. They just tell you who won, and Joel didn't win. Now, my dad had won, and Joel didn't win, and so there was a part of me that was a little smug every time I saw Pastor Joel. I was like, Pastor Joel, so how does not winning feel? I never actually said that, but I wanted to, and I thought it a lot, because my dad won the competition, and my youth pastor, not so much. Well, When I was a senior at Denver Seminary, the opportunity came, and the teachers nominated me. And so I got into the preaching competition as well. And so here I am, there's like five other students, and we're all in this preaching competition. And I remember the day that I sat down and listened to each one of these other sermons being preached. I remember the one guy who was my friend from New Zealand. Man, he had red hair, a beard down to his belly button almost, but just a goatee kind of beard. And the dude was hilarious. I 
I can't remember ever hearing a funnier sermon in my life. That guy preached up a storm and it was awesome. Hilarious. I loved it. There was another dude who taught about two different stories of the life of Jesus. Stories that I had never put together, but he put them together into a way that just was absolutely phenomenal. I'd never thought of it before. It opened up my eyes to a brand new thing and I thought to myself, wow, that was amazing. And then my sermon. And my sermon, I had spent a couple weeks on. I had, in my heart, spent my whole life on it. Because, see, my dad had won, and I expected to go to the same school, and I expected to be part of the competition, and I expected myself to win. And so I was in a passage in Isaiah. That You know, I do this sometimes. You, you might know this about me. I, I sometimes challenge myself with something that is ludicrously difficult, and I kind of did it that day. I picked a passage from Isaiah that was really, it was really beautiful to me. There was something about the passage that was beautiful. I loved it. But at the same time, it was a very difficult passage. It was a very hard-to-understand passage. And trying to get the nuances of how to make it feel beautiful to the audience while also trying to explain the details of what was going on in the passage was something that I was really struggling with. I had a hard time kind of packaging it all together. And, And eventually, I was trying to tell my classmates that if they made plans based on earthly guidelines, they would face destruction. But if they let God be in charge of their plans, then he would bring his success. It's an incredibly important message that I think we all need to hear today. And I poured my heart into it. But there was one other guy who was in the preaching competition. Stephen Anderson. I don't remember much of his preaching style. I don't remember much of the message he gave. I remember two things. He had a rocking chair on the stage next to him. And I remember the title of his message. It was the cure for the common soul. And he preached a message from Psalm 131. And he began by talking about how the common soul in our world today is one of stress and one of frustration one of hardship, one of ambition, one of success and failure and anguish. And I had been experiencing so much anguish over the sermon competition, the preaching competition. I had experienced anguish over the school that I was in. I had experienced anguish over getting my diploma, my degree, and then getting out there into the real world and getting a job. I had so much anguish over all these things. And he, he began to preach a message about all of the anguish that all of us face. And that's common stuff. But God has a cure for it. And he wants to call us to a life of peace and a life of rest that is beyond the common soul. It's no wonder that Stephen Anderson won that competition. And when I heard that he had won, there was a part of me that was definitely disappointed. But on the other hand, I knew that I needed his message more than he or anyone else needed mine at that time. And it wasn't just that he had done a better message. 
but it was that God had spoken to me as well as to all these other people through the words that Stephen brought to us. And I thought, for this final message of 2021, what I would really like to do is just take you through Psalm 131. Strangely enough, my passage was this long passage from Isaiah where I had to preach through a whole lot of verses and do a lot of analysis and stuff. And Psalm 131 is just three little verses. Three little verses with a little heading at the top. And I'd like to take you through it today. It begins with kind of a big picture of what David the psalmist is trying to communicate to us. It starts like this. A song of ascents of David. Now, this is important. Uh, a lot of times when you read in the Bible, you'll see these little headlines that are in, in the Bible text. And in every case other than the book of Psalms, those little headlines were added by editors and translators after the fact. But in the book of Psalms, when you see these little headings, those were actually added by the writers themselves. David gave this psalm this introduction. He said, this is a song of a sense of David. Now, that's an important line because David says this is the song that you sing when you are ascending. Now, uh, let me just let you know what a song of ascent is when it comes to the people of Israel. The songs of ascent were the songs the people of Israel would sing as they were heading up to Jerusalem. Now, the, the temple was on a hill. Jerusalem itself was a city kind of on a hill, and there were valleys all the way around it, and so no matter where you were coming from, whether you're coming from the north or the south or the east or the west, as you got closer to Jerusalem, you always went up to Jerusalem. And that's why every trip to Jerusalem ended with this upswing, and it was a song for the ascent to Jerusalem. You can think about it like um, when you're going to Disneyland. What is the thing that you and your family would sing as you're on your way to Disneyland or Disney World or whatever theme park is your favorite thing or whatever place is your favorite place to go? Think of the place where you are going, the destination where you would want to go, and say, what is the anticipation like? on our way there. And David says, this is the kind of song I want you to sing. This is the kind of song I want you to sing when your heart is full with the anticipation of experiencing God in his glorious presence right there in Jerusalem. Now, that's the opening line. This here is the closing line. This is verse 3. The closing line from the psalm is, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is David's bookend concept for this psalm. David wants you to know that this is the kind of song that takes you up. This is the kind of song that lifts your eyes. And this is the kind of song that reminds you to put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. The most important thing David wants to communicate to us through this psalm is that we would take our eyes and lift them up off of the stuff around us. Lift them up off of the, the mediocre, the everyday, the common, the normal, the distraction, the stressful, the frustration. Lift our eyes up off all those things and put your hope in the Lord, both for now and forever. David wants us to be people who get our eyes off of our everyday and up onto the one who can take care of every day. 
That's the framework. That's the big picture for what David is trying to communicate to us. And I want to ask that you would take that approach as we begin this new year, as we close out this year. I want to ask that you would take this mindset for yourself to say, I will lift my eyes off of the empty earthly hopes and fears. You see, all the things on this earth are empty and earthly. It's not just that they're earthly as opposed to heavenly, and we should be people who are thinking of heavenly things and not earthly things. There are a lot of earthly things we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about how to take care of our future, how to take care of our children, how to take care of our elderly parents, how to take care of our jobs, how to do everything in our lives well. We need to be considering the earthly things, but let's always remember that these earthly things are also empty. They're not filled with something. Uh, The people around us, they are eternal. But the stuff around us, all of that is just empty and temporary. And especially when it comes to hopes and fears. All of those things, if they start on earth, they're empty. Uh, Just think about some of the things that we've been struggling with over the last couple of years. COVID. For many people, COVID is a fear. I've told you many times on this stage that I'm not afraid of COVID. Biologically speaking, my parents already beat it. But I'm also not afraid of COVID because my soul is secure with God. What I am afraid of is all of the attendant things that go along with COVID. The the fact that I might get someone else infected. The fact that I might take up a hospital bed. The fact that I might be somehow a burden on people around me or the society around me. That's the stuff that I'm kind of worried about. And, And so COVID is one of those things that causes a lot of us a variety of different fears. But I want to remind you, we don't have to be afraid of that stuff. Uh, Flip the coin a little bit, and I'd also say vaccines. I'm not afraid of vaccines. I got three of them so far. This last week, I got a booster. It knocked me out pretty much. But you know what? I'm not afraid of that stuff. I'm also not putting my hope in any of those things either. I think the vaccine is a good thing, and I trust the vaccine. I think you should trust the vaccine. Go ahead and get one. Get a booster shot. I think they're good things. I trust it, but I'm not putting my hope in it. My hope is bigger than a vaccine or a politician or anything else on this earth. King David wants us to lift our eyes up off of those earthly, empty hopes and fears and to find some peace at the level above those things. And so what he does is he gives us two principles. Two principles for how to lift our eyes off those things. Two principles to employ in our lives to get ourselves back to a place of peace. And since God wants us to be part of the cure for the common soul. I think we should embrace these things in our souls as well. Here it is. The first one, David says, this is verse one from the psalm. He says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. This is an interesting passage. I mean, I could focus on the my heart is not proud thing. And we could talk about humility. And we could talk about the character trait that humility actually is. But 
He says, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, and then he gives an explanation himself for what he means by that. His explanation is that I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. See, what David is saying here is that some things in this world are beyond me. Some things in this world are beyond me. And when I admit that, when I acknowledge that, that's humility. That's me recognizing there are some things I'm never going to have the answer to. There are some things I'm never going to understand. There are some things I'm never going to get. But that's okay. Because humility is acknowledging that I'm a limited person. I'm not one of these unlimited people who can understand everything and do everything. If I were, that would put me in the place of God. I'm recognizing that I am not. And so here is the phrase that I want us to embrace for ourselves based on this passage. It's, I can humbly choose, yeah, to let things go. Oh my goodness. Do you realize what would have happened this last year, two years, if the argument that you were about to get into with that person you had that argument with, if you had just let it go? Now, you would have let it go for that one hour, and then like the next hour, you would have been stewing over it, and then the next hour, you would have been making a, an email to them, and then the next hour, you said, forget the email, I'm just going to post it on Facebook for everybody to see, and then the next hour after that, you're in the comment threads of the post that you put on Facebook, and the argument has just started in a totally new way. But can you imagine what life would have been like if there had been things that we had all decided to just let go? Let me give you a little bit of an example about this. Um, the, the truth of the matter is that when I hear an issue, I immediately form an opinion. It's just knee-jerk reaction. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not something that you're familiar with. But when I hear about an issue, I immediately form an opinion. Usually my opinion falls in line with the human being who told me about the issue. Now that's interesting. Whoever informed me of the issue first is also the person who kind of forms my opinion on that issue. But let's forget that for the moment. When I hear an issue, I form an opinion on the issue. When I have an opinion on an issue, I feel a desire to share my opinion. And when I share my opinion, I really want other people to like my opinion and approve of me. And so sometimes I want to prove that my opinion is right, and I want to prove that I am right, and I therefore sometimes need to prove that they're wrong. And that's the way the world works. That's the way opinions are formed. The truth of the matter is, though, that I'm often wrong. This morning I woke up, and like I do many mornings, I grabbed my phone and I opened up my little news app, and I was scrolling through some of the latest news. And, and one of the things that my news app suggested to me to read was this headline, Nintendo sues man who sold his entertainment system on eBay for $25. And then I click through on the article and I'm like, well, what's this all about? Some big corporate entity is getting all up against the little guy. And, and so I, I read the article and Nintendo has 
filed a lawsuit against this man because he sold his console on eBay for only $25. And Nintendo feels like that devalued their console. And so they sued this guy. And I started getting all kinds of upset. I started getting like really irritated that some corporation would have the absolute gall to to sue a person for selling something that he had rightfully owned. It was just a box of plastic. He has the right to sell it, doesn't he? And I imagine you're getting a little bit irritated if you're like me at all. And I got to the end of the article as they were beginning to sort of talk about maybe possible solutions. And then then they made this comment about Nintendo just being a company that sues everybody. And I'm really frustrated. I got to the end of the article and I noticed there were more articles on this website. And and the very next article on the website that was the one that was previous to the one that I was reading, the previous article said this, girlfriend takes up all bed inventory slots. And I thought, wait, wait, wait a minute. An inventory slot is a gamer term. You, have, you play video games that have inventory slots. And if all of your inventory slots are taken up, that's an annoying thing. And if there was a guy who was a gamer, he might value his games more than his girlfriend. And so maybe this is some gamer guy's girlfriend is taking up too much space in the bed. And that's what, but no gamers have girlfriends. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of thinking through the, the logic of that particular headline And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I was on a satire website, and nothing on the website was real or true or to be believed. And and I had gotten all upset about Nintendo suing people for absolutely no reason. It was fake. It was fraudulent. And my news app suggested it to me, and I told them, don't suggest things to me from that website ever again. And now I'm mad for a totally different reason. But... Here's the point. I can't trust myself or my opinions. I'm often wrong. We're all often wrong. And the first thing we need to do is be the kind of person that David was who says, I'm not proud. There are some things beyond me. There are some things I just don't understand. Some things I'll never get. I'll give you just a couple quick ways to apply this principle. I think we need to be the kind of people who trust experts in their fields. I think we need to be the kind of people who trust scientists. I think we need to be the kind of people who trust journalists. And I think we need to be those kinds of people because, listen, let's just be honest with each other. We are never going to be able to do all that research ourselves. We as individual people will never be able to do all the research in both scientific fields and journalistic inquiry and keep our jobs and love our families and eat. There's just not enough time in life to do all those things. And and so I invite you to enter into the peaceful world of trusting other people. As long as you're trusting the right people, it's not that bad of a place to be. I want to trust some experts in their fields. And I invite you to go ahead and do that with me. Because see, if, we're, if we let some things go, something amazing happens. There will be more of us left over to receive what we're supposed to receive. 
If I can be humble enough to let some things out of my hands, I don't need to have an opinion on that thing. I don't need to prove that I'm right about that thing. If I can let some things out of my hands, I will have more space in my life to receive the things God is actually bringing to me. Let me show you the second principle from this passage. David says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Like a weaned child. This is an interesting concept. I remember I never really understood this passage until my wife and I had children. And I got to see up up close, you know, in person, how a child behaves with its mother while that mother is still the primary source of food for that child. See, early on in the child's life, he develops a very strong belief that mom is a vending machine. Mom exists purely and completely to provide the needs for the child and whatever the child happens to want at whatever time that child wants it. And so early on in the child's life, the child is consistently in two modes. Well, three if you include sleep, which is rare for many. But two modes, wanting food and getting food. Or, let's just be honest, crying and getting food. That's basically the way my experience as the guy on the outside was, you know, I experienced uh, a lot of infants, at least the two who were in my life. But here's the point. David says, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child, like a child who realizes mom is not just a vending machine, like a child who realizes mom doesn't just exist for me, like a child who realizes mom is a person with whom I can have a relationship I can receive what mom gives to me without having the need to just get more. I want to invite you to embrace this principle in your life as we close out 2021. I can patiently receive what God gives me. See, like a weaned child says, if my mom's not giving me something right now, it's because I don't need it. My mom is that trustworthy. My mom is that good. My mom is that loving. And we can say the same thing about God. If God hasn't brought something into my life yet, well, I'm not supposed to have it. God is someone I can wait for. God is someone I can be patient with. Because see, here's the amazing thing. God is good. God is loving. And just like that little baby needs to learn that mom is trustworthy, that she will bring what's needed in its proper time, you and I need to learn that God is trustworthy. And once we cross the line, once we cross the line past the vending machine God, past the God only exists for my benefit, once we cross the line into realizing that God is just trustworthy and loving and good, once we cross that line into no longer being needy, needy, needy people for an absolutely trustworthy God, when we cross the line, we can be people who are calm and patient 
and we will receive what God brings into our lives. Sometimes God is going to bring a blessing into our lives. Those are great days. Sometimes God brings clarity into our lives. Those are great days. Sometimes God brings a mission into our lives. Clarity on the thing that I'm supposed to do next. Those are great days. But sometimes all God brings is his presence. Being with him. Like a weaned child with its mother. The child who has agreed, I don't need to have greed. The child who has agreed with his mom, I will trust you. The child who can just be with mom. When we cross that line into recognizing that sometimes we get God's blessings and sometimes we get his clarity, but always we can have his presence with us. Those are good days. Those are good days. And I want to invite you to experience that kind of peace. Remember, God said to Isaiah, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You need to realize that Isaiah wrote down these words 600 years before Jesus was born. To us a child is born. And then 600 years later, shows up on planet Earth the Prince of Peace. Sometimes we just need to be patient to receive what God has planned to give to us. I'm going to leave you with a couple thoughts to take home with you. First, no blanks to fill in here or anything like that. I just want to share these things with you. God sometimes gives us blessings. God sometimes gives us clarity. But God always gives us his presence. So I want to invite you to experience the cure for the common soul. I want to invite you to be the cure for this world's common soul. And I want to invite you to join me as we enter into 2022 to be the kind of people who humbly learn to trust so that we will find peace for our soul. King David says, O Israel, Put your hope in the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same with me. Let's be the kind of people who recognize that we can humbly let some things go. People who recognize that we can also patiently receive what God gives us, even if he gives us a mission or a job or clarity or a blessing or definitely just because he has given us his presence. And let's be people who trust God who humbly trust God, living lives of trust in him and in the people he's put around us. Let's be the people who humbly learn to trust so that we can experience peace in our souls, especially as we enter into a new year. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you, and his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, 
check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.